Hello everyone, my name is Abigail Moon. Welcome to Holy and Homeless. This is the first episode of a three-part mini-series exploring the relationships between religion and homeless institutions. This is the final product of a project funded by the Levitt Public Affairs Center of Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. In the U.S., roughly 76.5% of Americans identify as religious and 88% of representatives in Congress identify as Christian. Regardless of time or place, faith continues to be a staple of life for those in the U.S., both for individuals and institutions. In January 2019, there were 567,715 people experiencing homelessness in the United States. A 2017 study found that around 60% of emergency shelter beds for homeless individuals are offered by faith-based organizations, and the same study found that these organizations have a different perspective on the causes of homelessness than many government institutions, namely that the underlying issue of homelessness is not running out of money or shelter, but rather running out of relationships. The religious affiliation of a shelter or institution has the potential to be deeply impactful on the care and services that they provide, as well as the people utilizing those services. I became interested in this intersection of religion and homelessness for a variety of reasons. I grew up going to Sunday school, but now have a tenuous, at best, relationship with religion. Yet, I happen to work in a chapel, doing non-religious work, and engage often with those more involved in their religious practices. I also grew up poor, have lost my housing, and have friends who have lived in shelters, cars, and on couches. This is an intersection that is both personally and academically important to me, and I wanted to explore what religion meant to those who provided homeless services. Through these three episodes, I interviewed different community leaders in the Utica, New York area, in which I now live for college. I asked about religious affiliation and influence, about representation and impact and motive. I was surprised by what I learned, and I hope that you will be as well. To begin this mini-series, I believe that a foundational knowledge of homelessness is important, so this episode will go over some basic information. A quick note before I get into more of the history. While I was doing my research, I found an article talking about the difference between saying homeless people and people or individuals who experience homelessness, separating homelessness from the person themselves. This is a quote from the Frameworks Institute, which says, quote, more respectful language about homelessness can lead to more positive attitudes and actions. People experiencing homelessness also suffer from a great deal of negative stereotypes that get in the way of the solutions we know work to end homelessness. As research from Frameworks Institute shows, Americans tend to misunderstand the structural and societal causes of homelessness and instead believe that homelessness is caused by an individual's choices. By separating individual people and families from emotionally charged labels, we can refocus attention on remedying the structural challenges, like the lack of affordable housing, challenges to accessing behavioral and mental health care and racial inequalities that can also make people unable to afford a home, end quote. So going forward, I will do my very best to use experiencing homelessness instead of homeless people. However, I found this after I conducted my initial interviews. So if I use incorrect language in those interviews, I apologize and I'm doing my best to correct that going forward.
Now for some very basic information. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development defines homelessness by separating it into four separate categories. These categories are number one, individuals and families who lack a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence. Two, individuals and families who will imminently lose their primary nighttime residence. Three, unaccompanied youth and families with children and youth who are defined as homeless under other federal statutes, or four, individuals and families who are fleeing or attempting to flee, domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, stalking, or other dangerous or life-threatening conditions. Homelessness is usually measured through something called point-in-time counts of those in shelters or sleeping on the streets. The Department of Housing and Urban Development provides Congress an annual homeless assessment report by calculating point-in-time counts each year in late January. This count is usually conducted through COCs, or continuums of care. The Department of Housing and Urban Development defines a continuum of care as, quote, a community plan to organize and deliver housing and services to meet the specific needs of people who are homeless as they move to stable housing and to maximize self-sufficiency. It includes action steps to end homelessness and prevent a return to homelessness, end quote. They are created to manage and track the homeless communities in their jurisdictions. Though the narratives around homelessness in the U.S. generally start in the 17 or 1800s, the first groups to experience homelessness were the indigenous nations colonized by the so-called explorers of the New World. Today, Native Americans are one of the groups who experience the highest rates of homelessness and violence, though it is rarely talked about. A 2014 survey in Albuquerque, New Mexico, found that 76% of Native Americans reported being attacked while homeless. This number is abysmal. Even obtaining numbers on how many Native Americans experience homelessness is difficult because they are undercounted in the census and may be likely to live in more rural areas, where homelessness is viewed differently, more overlooked. It is also important to note that there are overlapping factors that can increase the risk of homelessness in indi for Indigenous individuals. One is that, as found by a report from the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council in 2004, they experience some of the most significant health disparities in the United States. Significant health problems as one of the biggest indicators of being at risk for homelessness. The colonial history and current reality of the United States must be taken into consideration. Understanding that the violence that continues to this day, both physical and sociocultural, has a massive negative impact on the ability of folks to find jobs, get health care, or have safe, stable housing. The same study found Native Americans experienced discrimination attempting to secure affordable housing, and as of 2004, 40% of housing on reservations was considered inadequate, 20% of households lacked complete plumbing, and one-third of homes were overcrowded, which is six times the rate of the national average. Additionally, given the U.S.'s history of medical malpractice, eugenics, and outright lies, there is a distrust of the government among many Indigenous groups. This can make it harder to acquire identification or paperwork necessary for jobs, which also increases the risk of homelessness. An entire podcast series could be dedicated to this topic, but it is important to recognize and discuss a more inclusive and honest history, which is something that I had trouble finding when looking for the history of homelessness. Moving forward through history a little bit, the first almshouses where poor houses traditionally run by religious groups were set up in the 1730s. 
The 1800s saw the first use of the term homeless, which was often used to refer to tramps, or as one religious group put it, quote, a crisis of men let loose from the habits of domestic life, wandering without aim or home, unquote. Numbers increased as more people moved to urban areas in the Industrial Revolution. In the 1850s, police stations served as a major shelter system. Homelessness became a more national issue in the 1870s, and around this same time was a sort of open road romanticism. And a lot of young white men were leaving home in search of adventure or to ease the financial burdens at home. According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, the modern era of homelessness began in the 1980s. And, quote, major forces that change the complexion of homelessness in the modern era include gentrification of the inner city, deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill, high unemployment rate, the emergence of, the, of HIV AIDS, and inadequate supply of affordable housing options and deep budget cuts to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, end quote. Additionally, since the 80s, wages have stagnated, while rents in metropolitan areas have continued to climb. The recession of that time caused the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, also called HUD, to lose billions in budget cuts, from $29 billion in 1976 down to $17 billion in 1990. Two really specifically impactful policy changes were cuts in supplemental security income and disability eligibility became more restricted, which affected those with mental illness and reduced the ability to have a personal income. Additionally, the decriminalization of public inebriation or public drunkenness in a lot of cities meant that people who had previously spent the night in jail while drunk were now left to the shelters or the streets. At the same time, those living with HIV AIDS experienced discrimination and had trouble getting the support that they needed. All of this resulted in a significant change in demographics of the average person experiencing homelessness. While many shelters had previously served poor, older, and alcoholic men, the new face of homelessness was much younger, think less than 40, poorer, and more likely to also be dealing with medical, mental health, and substance use disorders. At the same time, numbers of women and family experiencing homelessness increased, all of this while budgets were decreasing and rent was going up. More recently, the National Alliance on Homelessness reports that numbers of those experiencing homelessness have trended downward for the last decade. Between 2007 and 2012, an average of 630,000 people experienced homelessness for at least one night, while that number was 553,000 in 2018. That same year, half of all homelessness was in five states, according to HUD. Those were California, New York, Florida, Texas, and Washington. 60% of those were men, and statistically, men are more likely to experience homelessness in the United States. Unfortunately, transitional housing opportunities have been reduced by half since 2007, which allow for support and stability while transitioning to permanent housing. At the same time, emergency shelter beds have increased, as have permanent supportive housing for those who are chronically homeless. The YouTube channel Invisible People is a wonderful place to go to hear on the ground stories and get inspired and feel connected to your communities. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode. The next two will bring in religion by interviewing shelters and religious leaders in the Utica, New York area. My name is Abigail Moon, and this has been Holy and Homeless. I encourage everyone listening 
to do some additional research on these topics, donate to mutual aid funds, and directly support those in your communities, as well as looking at homelessness more nationally and getting involved with services near you. Destigmatizing homelessness is also deeply important. As I mentioned earlier with the impact of language and talking about homeless people as opposed to people experiencing homelessness, Today, the National Alliance to End Homelessness identifies a lack of access to affordable, low-income housing, a lack of livable income and wage growth, as significant physical or behavioral health problems or disabilities, escaping domestic violence, and a history of racial inequality as main causes of homelessness. According to HUD, those living in shelters are more than twice as likely than the general population to have a disability, and healthcare is often difficult to access. Racial disparities in homelessness are immense, the largest of which is among Black folks, who represent 40% of people experiencing homelessness, but only 13% of the general population. Historically, from slavery, segregation, redlining, which was systemic housing segregation, impeded generational wealth, and continued discrimination, Black people in the U.S. are deeply impacted by systemic inequality that results in a lack of a lot of socioeconomic opportunities. Latinx and Indigenous groups share some of this history and many of the current day implications. Incarceration is also really impactful because a criminal history can make it more difficult to secure housing, employment, and government paperwork. And Black and Brown people are profiled, targeted, and incarcerated at much higher rates. For African Americans, that number is six times that of white people. Intersecting identities and experiences are incredibly important to recognize when discussing homelessness. For example, addiction and drug use often leads to incarceration, which increases the risk of homelessness. LGBTQ youth, especially Black, Indigenous, and people of color, are policed more heavily, more likely to be incarcerated without family ties, which ends in the same result, an increased risk of homelessness with decreased access to support services or community resources. All of this information, by the way, is from the National Alliance to End Homelessness. All of this means that any viable solution to homelessness must be intersectional, taking into account not only the economic factors, such as increasing the minimum wage, improving existing housing conditions, and building more low-income affordable housing, but also addressing racial justice, reparations in the generational wealth gap, health care, mental health care, the destigmatization and decriminalization of drug use, policing practices, social attitudes, and much more. Music